you know, I'm not going to put this on the men, this, this sexism. Uh, I think that a lot of it, you know, what, what I was shocked by was women. Hello, and welcome back to Women Rule, the podcast. I'm Carrie Budoff-Brown, editor of Politico and host of Women Rule. Today we're mixing things up a bit and looking to Hollywood for a different perspective on women and politics. First up, we're talking to Adrian Elrod and Jamie King. And later, we'll have an interview with Scandal's Tony Goldwyn, our first male on the podcast. Adrian Elrod worked on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign, serving as the Director of Strategic Communications and Surrogates, which means she was the one responsible for connecting her campaign with Hollywood. One of those surrogates was actress and model Jamie King. She'll join the conversation from Los Angeles. And later in the podcast, we'll have an interview that brings a different perspective from a man. We'll talk with actor and director Tony Goldwyn, who plays the fictional president of the United States on the hit TV show Scandal, which was created by one of the most powerful women in Hollywood, Shonda Rhimes. Stay tuned for those interviews. And as always, if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe to Women Rule on iTunes, rate us, and leave a review. Feel free to share our episodes on social media and follow me on Twitter at Brown. Women Rule is produced by Politico in partnership with Google and the Tory Burch Foundation. Now let's get to our interview with Adrian Elrod and Jamie King. So I'm here with two very amazing women, um, actress and model Jamie King, who uh, served as one of Hillary Rodham Clinton's uh, surrogates on the campaign, and Adrienne Elrod, who is fresh off the Hillary Clinton campaign, maybe not so fresh anymore, it's, it's been a little while, but she... <laughs> Seems like yesterday. It, uh, or does it, it really? Fresh. Right. It, yeah, it still feels fresh. Real fresh. Uh, um, uh, she worked, she was director of strategic communications and surrogates, which is how we got Adrienne and Jamie together, I guess, uh, to begin with, Jamie and, and Adrienne. I'd actually like to hear the story of how you two met up. Uh, Jamie, as we know, was very active on the campaign. Adrian was in charge of getting people like Jamie active in the campaign. How did you two connect? Jamie, do you want to take this or do you want me to? Go for it. Okay, great. Uh, well, well, Jamie, as I recall, Jamie was in uh, New York City uh, for work and um, our teams connected and uh, Jamie, I remember you coming out to Brooklyn and sitting down with everybody from our campaign chairman, John Podesta, uh, Robbie Mook, uh, Sarah Latham, a large group of our team sort of sat down and really talked through uh, the policy issues, uh, you know, the, where Hillary stood on a range of issues, including foreign policy, health care, women and children's issues, et cetera. Um, and when Jamie uh, was there, she just really made an impact on so many of us because, Jamie, you cared so deeply about every single issue, and you wanted to truly understand where, where Secretary Clinton stood on these issues so that when you were going out and talking to your friends and neighbors and uh, you know undecided voters about why you're supporting Hillary, you could truly uh, you know, talk from your heart and very intelligently on all of these issues. So you really struck a chord in a positive way with a lot of us. And uh, 
you know, the rest is history. Jamie uh, went to an event with the secretary um, in Los Angeles. I think this was right at the end of the uh, Democratic primary. I uh, think j- the two of you had a great conversation, and the, and the rest is history. You ended up being one of our top surrogates on the campaign. Yeah, Jamie, what what drew you to to sort of step out in this way in a political context? You've obviously been you have a you know huge social following. You've been outspoken on some key issues, but it seems like you've also at the same time you know, really given a lot of thought to what it means to speak out as a woman, as somebody in the entertainment industry, what that means. What what, what was sort of your thought process going through that with the presidential campaign, you deciding to, to engage in that way, which seemed pretty extensive? You know, there comes a point where it's like a tipping point where you realize, okay, um, if I if I don't start speaking up, if I don't start uh, standing up for something and for what's going on right now, um, in our country, uh, at one point, at what point would I feel that there's something off with that? I started to realize that there were so many issues that were going on in our country. All the ones that you know, Adrian, speaking about many, many of these issues, um, that I just couldn't stand back and uh, not have some kind of involvement uh, in trying to, you know, uh, change them or speak up for them, and trying to make sure that we have the right leaders in place to help uh, shape the future for these policies. You know, I've never told people who to vote for before. Um, This was the first campaign where I was active in the sense of telling people who I thought they should vote for, why I thought they should vote for uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, It was something that, uh, you know, it's pretty dangerous sometimes when you do that. My big thing is getting people out there to make... Uh, to actually vote, uh, to exercise uh, their right and uh, this incredible freedom that we have. So when you said dangerous, what did you mean by it was dangerous? Um, Things are dangerous in the sense that, you know, if you have any kind of voice, if you have people that want to listen to you, if you have people that, uh, um, you know, respect you or follow you or whatever that is, um, you better be responsible enough in what it is that you're you're doing and the, the steps that you're taking and using your voice um, because you have the opportunity to sway people. And I think that that's a powerful thing. And also, trust me, when you start saying that you're going to vote for Hillary Clinton and you want people voting for Hillary Clinton, you're going to lose a lot of people. It's not like it's like, oh, jolly ride, I'm going to tell everybody, vote for Hillary Clinton, I'm going to make a whole bunch of best friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it does not work that way. I come from a very conservative Republican family. Uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, you know, I, I, I think this is the first time where they voted for a Democrat, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it was a polarizing election. And, you know, you have people that really lose it. And, you know, I played a character, a Southern character, for almost five years. And people identify with me as a, as a Southern belle, this, that, da, 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 da. And, you know, when people identify you with your character, sometimes it's kind of amazing. They, people literally thought, you know, that, um, that I am the ideals of the characters that I play, which ironically, she was quite liberal. <laughs> well, did, you know, what, now that you're, you know, a couple months removed from it, did it, when you were going through it and, and in the, you know, afterward, you know, a couple of months out, did you feel that it had a effect on your career negatively or positively? And the people... Oh, it definitely who, has an effect. It definitely has an in effect. What, in which way? Um, in both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, there, I... 
I definitely had the experience of of knowing who was on what side and, you know, knowing that you are definitely a, a little bit polarizing um, if you're the one out on the front lines. And, um, you know, I I lost huge companies that I was supposed to be working with and they that I knew that it was a very clear, very uh, thinly attempted uh uh, try to uh, veil what the reason was, but you know, bottom line, because I was so politically and because I am so politically um, active and open, you know, you have huge corporations that don't like that because you're not you're not going to stay, you know, neutral when things happen, and they can't trust that. So, so- so what is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated to know, Adrian, um, you, you have known the Clintons for almost your entire life. Mm-hmm. You've worked on, you've worked with, with them and for them for years. Mm-hmm. What has, what, what was that day like the day after the election? And I assume you were at her speech when she talked about the, the glass ceiling not being shattered. Um, I don't know. What was it like being in that room at that moment, assuming you, as much as many other people, thought that she was going to be president and that day was probably surreal, I imagine. What was that? What was that night like? Oh, what was the next yeah. day like? And <laughs> it was <laughs> it was I mean, for me and, you know, Jamie and I were were texting constantly. Uh, it was, uh, the, you know, the, the night of election night started off as a very you know, it was an exciting night. We had so many of our surrogates present at the Javits Center. Uh, you know, we all felt that we were um, on the cusp of making history. Uh, and then, of course, as the night progressed on, it looked, you know, the, the, the outcome looked bleaker and bleaker for us. Um, the next day was was awful. I mean, it literally will go down uh, as one of the worst days, certainly, uh, of my life thus far. Um, you know, everything was a blur. Uh, of course, you know, Secretary Clinton getting on stage and, um, you know, just being so strong for all of us. Uh, you know, for those of us in the room, I think it felt, uh, you know, very surreal and, and, you know, almost like an out-of-body experience. But uh, the reaction from so many of my friends across the country saying we are we, – we feel so comforted in this really sad time seeing Secretary Clinton get up doing what she does best, which is rolling up her sleeves and having a conversation uh, with us and making us feel so much better. Uh, I think that gave at least everybody a little sense of, you know, no matter what happens, everything's going to be okay because she's going to be out there in some way, shape, or form fighting for us. She's not going away. You know, she is still going to be very involved in this process somehow. But it was... It took a it took a long time to. Re- what, what I still it? haven't recovered, but it, it took a long time to get to this point today. I mean, what, what, when you look back on it, what do you think the campaign you personally should have done differently or could have done differently? You know, obviously, there's you know plenty of postmortems that are happening out there right now, including a new book that recently uh, was released. What's your quick take on that book? Shattered by. I yeah I, uh, I I think it uh, I think that it was very ill sourced and I think that they have a lot of misinformation in there. Um, we you know those of us on the campaign I I can't tell you what an amazing team we had. Um, you know I spent 19 months of my life dedicated fully dedicated to this campaign and you know it's it's hard to to hear some of the insults that are completely inaccurate that are coming out in this book. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we expect these, the rumors and innuendo to somehow, you know, 
come together and, and, and create some sort of narrative that is not necessarily what uh, most of us from the campaign experience. So, But in your posts, thinking about it, I'm sure you've thought about it. Yeah. More than you probably would have liked. <laughs> what, what's like the one or two things you just think, if I only had known that, maybe this would have made the difference? And Well, you know, I think, you know, certainly um, from a surrogate's perspective, uh, I think that we could have spent more time deploying surrogates in some of these states like Michigan and Wisconsin, where we we didn't have a full-fledged surrogate operation, at least in the general. Um, I think we could have spent more time in those states. Um you know, I uh, it's 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 hard because there were so many different forces that were coming at us every day that no other campaign has ever had to face. Um, oh my god! But yeah. I mean, just in Talk crazy, right, Jamie? But but you know, one can argue: was it worth to truly litigate every single point on the emails? Um, or was it better just to, just to you know keep it at we, she made a mistake she wishes she had used two devices and moving on it was also just tough to get our message out there in general did her being a woman how much in the aftermath of the election do you think that played into the whole perception of her how she was treated by the media by in terms of connecting with voters in Middle America or elsewhere I mean the Trump voter I mean. A huge part, a Mm -hmm. huge part. We're starting to see how very clearly uh, sexist this country is still, how clearly racist we are still. We're xenophobic and, you know, homophobic. And, I mean, we're starting to see really, um, you know, and I think people are also acknowledging it within themselves. Did you, um, Jamie, right in the in the day or so after the election, I, I read something you said where the feelings were obviously still raw about uh, Donald Trump's you know election, and you said something along the lines of "I'm not going to allow my children to call this man president." Are you still in that same mind space? Are you in a better place then than you are now? I mean, now than you were then, or tell me how you're feeling like six months into this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. It's hard, right? It's, it's hard. It's so complex. Mm-hmm. It is like having one of, honestly, the trauma of it, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, it's, it's very traumatic. In what um, way? It's traumatic because I feel like a person that's standing in an ocean that it's like I just keep getting hit with waves over and like I keep getting pummeled, you know, and I'm waiting for the water to just calm down for a second. So a I good can analogy. Just, but every time I take a step, it's like another wave, like turn around, it's like another wave just comes and hits me and knocks me over and I get caught in the undertow. Right when I come up for a breath, it's like another wave comes and hits me. And, and what that is, is the experience of what this country is having to go through. So it's like, oh my God, you know, boom, we just bombed, you know, Syria. Oh, we just hit, you know, this. And there's a point where you're just like, I can't call another senator. I'm so tired of starting petitions. I don't want to stand with the side of my hand. I don't want to take to the streets anymore. I just want to scream. It's like, you know, if I just have another credo action, I'm going to like shoot myself. Well, what, what have you done in the, what have you done in the months since? What is your next move? Have you been as active I mean, before? That's, it. that's yeah. what you do. You yeah. do all of the little things. You do everything that you possibly can. You, you know, you, you, you get yourself up, you dust yourself off and you say, okay, what are the, what are the, the, the issues? And then, and what are the, what are the battle? It's like a battle. It it's literally feels like we're at war and I don't want it to feel that way. Adrian, what, what, how are you, how are you, um, you know, 
funneling your energy? Where are you putting it right now? To, to Jamie's point, I mean, you feel like you, you know, first of all, you feel like you can't take your eye off the ball. I mean, anytime you want to sort of rest and, you know, maybe just sort of shut your brain off for a couple hours, he, he says something else and you feel, you know, I think Jamie feels such a sense of obligation, not only as a parent, but because she does have so, you know, such a huge fan base and so many uh, people who look to her, uh, you know, for direction and guidance and uh, look up to her as a person. And so she feels a sense of responsibility to consistently stay engaged. Um, me, on the other hand, just, you know, being back here in Washington, uh, having worked with so many different surrogates, not just celebrities, but obviously elected officials, uh, other key influencers, you know, I'm trying to um, constantly keep that group, that eclectic group that we brought together on the campaign to advocate for Hillary engaged in the resistance. So whether it's, you know, fighting, uh, you know, for our Muslim American community uh, from the ban, whether it's, you know, doing everything that we can to advocate, uh, you know, against uh, health care repeal, whatever the issue is, just trying to keep these high wattage surrogates engaged so that this is not just a beltway issue, but it is something that, you know, that this resistance is continuously reaching the living rooms of, you know, the people who were so engaged in this election, that they are, they're staying engaged, um, they're aware of the issues, and they're uh, using their collective energy in a unified, cohesive way to fight back to where the real, you know, the real need is at this point. Have you been doing stuff with the special elections in Georgia, Kansas, moving ahead with the runoff in Georgia? I, you know, I, I've been I've been um, moving, you know, social media out to some of our surrogates and, and whatnot, but I haven't been directly engaged um, with them. I think that the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and, you know, all the other advocacy organizations who have been involved are certainly doing an incredible job. But over the next few months, I plan to uh, continue to, to find ways to keep this group, you know, engaged in the resistance. Maybe on that point, looking to 2020, there are quite a few women in that field. What are the best lessons you guys can, you could, you can take from this past experience and, and give it to the next group of women who may try to do the same thing Hillary Clinton did? What would be the best bit of advice both of you would give or any woman seeking office, really? I mean, what, 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 but let's focus on 2020. Jamie, like what, what would be the best piece of advice you'd give any woman in this field for 2020? That's a really good question. I mean, now that I understand really what women are up against um, in the sense of how women are perceived and the ridiculous nature of the the questions that they have to field, um, is she crazy? Is she emotional? Is she unbalanced? Uh, is she unlikable? Is she out for herself? Is she uh, jealous? Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to sound like a whining woman, but it's just very clear and very true. Um, first and foremost, I would advise that they go see <laughs> Hillary Clinton. I think women in all places confront that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I sit, I'm the editor of Politico. I mm -hmm. sit there a lot of days and think, do they think I'm crazy? <laughs> <laughs> right. You can relate. We can all relate. Am I being emotional, oh. Adrian? What 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 are, what can you point point as lessons similar to what Jamie said? What would you tell a, a woman running for for office in twenty twenty that sure. they absolutely have to do or understand mm -hmm. about this? Well, I think Jamie's point, first of all, by uh, her first point of advice, which is sit down with Secretary Clinton, talk to her, get her get her thoughts and advice, and uh, you know her take on on what she went through and and you know what kind of campaign you have to run. Uh, is is the first thing I would do for sure. But, 
You know, secondly, look, I mean, Jamie's correct. Like we, you know, I think one of the biggest takeaways, you know, once a lot of us from the campaign really had a chance to sit back and reflect is there is an inherent level of sexism out there that still exists. It's still pervasive. And, you know, I I don't see it every day because I live in Washington, D.C. And there's I feel, you know, even though I think all of us can can cite examples of where we don't always um you know, feel a sense of equality in the workplace. Uh, you know, I certainly know that being in a progressive environment such as Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, New York, it's a little bit different than what many people are feeling out, you know, in middle America. Um, but it still exists. And um, that was sort of a hard pill to swallow, I think, realizing that we still have so much work to do as a country to bring women up to the same level as men, not only in the workplace, not only in the laws that exist, but also in the way people you know, view genders and 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 relate to other, you know, to to um, you know, to to other sexes, um, you know. But secondly, look, be yourself, be authentic. Um, you know, th- women need to run. We've got not just at the twenty, not just in twenty twenty, but at the um, at the local level, at the federal level, the state level, uh, we need more women candidates out there, and it's not easy. Um, but we also need to remind everyone that there are a lot of women out here. There, a majority of voters are women, uh, and we've got a lot of work to do in a society. But be yourself, be authentic, uh, and don't let what happened in this last election cycle shy you away from from uh, from running. Someday. Do you think the loss of Hillary Clinton's loss somehow set back the ability of a woman to capture the nomination? In four years, eight years, do you think the parties, well, the parties, will be? Gun shy I about do. It. I, I don't think I don't know that the parties will be gun shy about it. But I I personally I mean, I, I hope that I'm proven wrong. But I personally believe uh, that Hillary Clinton was by far our best shot um, in God knows how long to elect a woman president. Um, she was the most experienced person to ever run for president, in my view. Um, you know, she had such broad appeal, uh, not only with women, but with men and with, you know, so many different people throughout America and throughout the world. Um, you know, there's really nobody else out there, again, in my view, that could change by the time 2020 comes around um, that's even close to her qualifications in, in that respect. Uh, so I, th- I, I, I fear that it's going to be a while, um, but I hope that I'm proven wrong. Jamie, what do you think? One very uh, glaring realization that I had was, you know, I'm not going to put this on the men, this, this sexism. Uh, I think that a lot of it, you know, what what I was shocked by was women. Um, mm-hmm. We need to understand that we can work together and be together and that there's room for everybody. Understanding what was in, in Hillary Clinton's head. Does she have any plans to to write about that on her own terms? Yes, you know she is. I, uh, you know, it's it's obviously been you know announced that she is you know working on something. Um, I'm not part of that process. Uh, but you know, look, you're already starting to see her get out there more and more, uh, talking about issues, weighing in. Uh, and and when she weighs in, people listen. It drives headlines, uh, which is exactly what we need right now. Uh, and Chelsea's amazing. What Chelsea is doing is incredible too. And Chelsea's been out there as well, and she's been very active on social media, which is which is great to see. Uh, so look, Hillary Clinton has spent her entire life fighting for women and children, being involved in, a, in an array of civic issues. I, I, she's not going anywhere. She's not. She is going to be. Uh, I'm confident that she's going to be very involved, um, you know, in our country and moving um, our country forward in uh, in her own way in the years to come. Is she done with elected office? 
I have, you know, I have no idea. Mm. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't read into that. Okay. Well, Jamie, thank you for joining us from L.A. Of course. No, thank you for joining us. I really, really appreciate Jamie. And, of course, Adrian. thank you for facilitating. Thank you. Jamie. It was so much fun. You just heard from Adrian Elrod and Jamie King, two power players, one in Washington, the other Hollywood. Now we're going to shift gears a bit to chat with Tony Goldwyn, who, you may recall, is the president of the United States. That is, the president on the fictional TV series Scandal. So joining us today from Los Angeles is Tony Goldwyn. Tony, great to have you on uh, the program. Thank you so much. Thanks. My pleasure. Yeah, so not sure if you know this, Tony, but you're our first male guest on Women Rule the Podcast. Wow. <laughs> yes. And the big, long history. That's an honor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, we've done about seven of these, and you're our first man. And I think maybe just to start it off, some may wonder, you know, what place does a man have in a conversation and on a podcast about women and politics? You know, tell me, you know, what role do you think a man has in this conversation? I, I think a, a, a crucially important role. Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, number one, uh, you know, we're, we're, we represent half the population. <laughs> it's true, yes. And um, we are the partners and fathers and sons of, and brothers of, of you know, of, of every woman on the planet. You know, every, every quote-unquote kind of, you know, woman's issue is, is equally a man's issue. So I, I think that the male voice in this conversation is, um, you know, could not be more important. So that's why I am a loud mouth about it. <laughs> and you were last year, right? You, you you sort of went all in for Hillary last year, campaigned for her, directed a commercial. At one point you said, or probably many times you said, no one has, has ever been more qualified to be president. Um, like, but the course, benefit- I think I was quoting Obama in that statement, but it Got was it. true. Yeah. Got it. Uh, you know, like, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, what happened there? You know, what, you know, in your view, what, why did she lose? What happened with that campaign? It was, a, it was sort of a perfect storm of horror <laughs> between this um, very unique opponent and Donald Trump. I think James Comey, uh, I think, had a huge role in turning things at the last minute. I, um, you combine that with the Russian, um, you know, propaganda campaign, uh, that whether it was decisive or not, it did exist, and it, and it um, you know, kept a steady stream uh, of attack, uh, you know, on Hillary going. And the fact that, you know, uh, I believe that Hillary would have been uh, an extraordinary president, if not, you know, and, and possibly a great one, um, she wasn't a natural candidate, you know. Uh, she said she wasn't she, a natural candidate? I, I, you know, in terms of, I, I think that, mm-hmm. her, put it this way, her strengths and her comfort zone were not, you know, like Barack Obama or Bill Clinton, who are, um, have this ability, they're just, just you know, those sort of rock star charismatic candidates. Um, Hillary's whole being is about, look, let me just do the job. And everyone, you know, let me show you what I can do. And, and her kind of personality and demeanor is about roll up your sleeves, let's get to work. And, um, you know, that 
uh, you know, look, I saw her give some incredible speeches, and I saw how she is with people. But she had to hard, I think, on her, you know, uh, her breaking out of her kind of personal sort of reticence or slight discomfort with making a big deal about herself. All of those things conspired, I think, to this very bizarre um, uh, thing that happened in our political world. So, um, so, so, what, so uh, what, what, you know, what yeah. role, you know, from you being out there and, and seeing her on the stump and just obviously being involved in the campaign and also observing it, um, you know, what, what role did you think her being a woman played in this? Well, I, I, I neglected to mention that, but I think that was very significant. I think there was and a, how so? a, a large dose of, um, you know, m- m- misogyny uh, in this whole thing. Look, in, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people are still uncomfortable with a woman in, a, you know, executive leadership position. So, so the next, you know, the next in 2020, there's at least a few women who are who are thinking about running, if not already running. Uh, you know, what's the one thing they need to learn from this past cycle? Uh, and take from it well, or adjust how do they adjust i i i don't i feel unqualified to, to answer <laughs> that other than to say be yourself mm-hmm. you know um i think that's one of trump's gifts he's just himself in all situations and unapologetically so and as horrifying as i find it obviously it appeals to a tremendous amount of people mm-hmm. um is that to say that, I mean? that is that to say then that hillary wasn't enough of herself and that yeah, yeah. That's I showed through. That's, I think that's true. I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, um, I, I, look, again, I want to qualify that statement by saying I think Hillary, you know, did a fantastic job uh, on the campaign. And I I've, I've saw her many times completely being herself. And I saw how crowds were enraptured by her. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but, you know, it's, it, you know, she struggled with it more in the 2008 campaign. And when she did struggle in the, the you know this last campaign often it was when the pressure was on and she felt that she needed to um, be something other than just who she is and it's not just true of her I think a lot of people you know try and twist themselves into knots to appeal to this group or that group or you know modulate this position or that position and I think that the most successful politicians are people that you know clarified their message and what they are um, passionate about mm-hmm. and stick to that and be, you know, express that passion. You know, Obama was, ex- he's extraordinarily articulate and you always felt that he was himself. And when Obama wasn't so good, it was when you felt that he was withholding or being slightly, uh, you know, equivocal or, or moderating his message and suddenly his tremendous charisma would dim. Um, you know, it's a gift that Clinton had, where he could make you just feel that he was always coming from his heart as a politician, even when he was spinning. He was good. So, at it. so yeah, no, but, but here's the thing: it's but, it's uh, it's often difficult, right, for women to be them their authentic selves, right? Because all the constructs well, that exist, partic- right, isn't yeah, that the heart of it? Particularly, and particularly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in presidential politics. But mm-hmm. if you look at someone like Elizabeth Warren, mm-hmm. you know, her greatest appeal is, man, that lady is aside from being brilliant and articulate, she is unapologetically herself. You know, look, I'm, I'm not a politician. I would not know how you to do You just play it. one on TV, right? I just play <laughs> one on TV, and the, the words are written for me. Yes. So, um, 
Who do you want to see uh, run against Donald Trump in a couple of years? Have you tuned in at all to that next cycle of candidates who are looking to do that? It's too early for me. Mm-hmm. It really is. You know, I, I, um, I would love to see Kamala Harris, but I don't know if she'll be you know, ready by then. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many um, great people, you know, speaking of women in Congress, from, you know, Tammy Baldwin, Maggie Hassan. I, but I don't know if any of them have any interest or are, you know, Kirsten Gillibrand is, mm-hmm. is great. But, I, you know, and then in terms of men, Deval Patrick, I really think is, is uh, you know, incredible. But, I, but um, I just don't know. I think it's too early. And I so, do- so here so here in Washington, you, you know, you just you just celebrated your, your hundredth episode of Scandal. Congratulations right. on that here. We're going to mark and uh, a sort of a milestone this week with 100 days of the Trump presidency. Uh, yep. <laughs> has it been about what you expected? Worse, better? What's your How take? How could you have expected any of it? I mean, <laughs> so this it, is beyond what so, you could have written, right? It's it's so beyond. Yeah, I mean, we make a, a crazy TV show where you know you're always there. Always, you know, Shonda Rhimes is always coming up with these surreal, mad plot twists that, frankly. <laughs> they they sometimes fail in comparison to what's happening every day. You know, I I know I could never have expected. I, I guess I expected the chaos, um, in general. Um, I expected the uh, lack of um, consistency. I expected the kind of uh, shoot from the hip, knee jerk um, style that is Trump leadership. So that that all was no surprise to me, um, but. <clears throat> You just can't expect the the, the daily uh, brush fires. We're in for a rough time. What was it like that night in the Javits Center? I think you said it got really not fun really quick. Who were you talking to that night? When did it dawn on you that that this was lost? <clears throat> well, uh, it was it was, a, that was a rough night. Um, we were all highly confident going in. I had actually been in Michigan campaigning on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Before the Tuesday, and oh, interesting. Great, it's looking great. We're yeah. you know the numbers are strong. <laughs> Could not have been more wrong. So we showed up. My wife Jane and I showed up at the Javits Center, all like pumped, thinking, "Okay, we did it." And we were sort of in this group of people that had been Hillary supporters. There was you know an area where where her, the people that worked on the campaign and sort of surrogates like me were there, and everyone was very celebratory. And I bumped into. Um, Actually, Ted Danson, who's an old friend of, of uh, you know, Secretary and President Clinton, and um, he said, uh, "I'm scared." I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "Something feels wrong to me." So that was the first one because all these people were, you know, partying it up, and Ted was looking at us like, "Huh?" Did you and just dismiss it? Down, You're like Ted. Don't be so concerned. Like, oh, what a what a, <laughs> a buzzkill, Ted! Come on, man, lighten up. And then I went down to this, uh, the press room to do a couple of interviews. And on my way back, this was the moment. It was about 9.15, I think. And uh, I'm close friends with Gene Sperling, who is, um, you may, I'm sure you know Gene, but yeah. you, for people who don't know Gene, Gene was the chairman of the Council for Economic Advisors in Obama's first term. And, is, you know, since 92, you know, has been a, 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 you know, was a sort of the top, one of the top Clinton uh, economic advisors and was a, an advisor to Hillary as well. And he's just a great guy. And uh, I heard my voice. Someone called my name as I was heading back up to the suite where where, where my wife was. And um, 
and it was Gene, and he looked like he was about to die. His face was gray. Mm. I'd never seen him like that. And I, and I said, Gene, are you okay? And he said, well, she's lost. It's over. Wow. So what are you talking about? Nothing had been called, not one state, nothing. You know, it was just things were starting to look a little janky. And uh, he said, um, half an hour ago, she had, I think, a, I think he said, uh, a 96% chance of winning. And now, 30 minutes later, she's got an 85% chance of losing or something like that. Mm -hmm. Everything turned on its ear because she was looking at, maybe it was, um, I came up with a poll. What, when, uh, it was the New York Times analysis, the run-up or something like that. He said had the best statistics. And he said, um, um, I hope Gene won't mind me quoting him, but he said this is the worst thing that's happened in this country since the Civil War. Wow, <laughs> um, Gene. And I was like, wow, oh, my God. And it, it, that's when it hit me. I, I, I just got had a sick feeling in my stomach. And by the time I left Gene and went upstairs, the whole, um, you know, everyone saw what was happening, and it was downhill from there. Hmm. What did you? How did you talk to your your two daughters about it the next day? Well, it was that night. You know, yeah. um, my uh, I we left about ten o'clock. Jane looked at me and she goes, "This, you know, Hillary's not coming here because they were at the peninsula." And she said, "We might as well go because this is over." And it was getting so depressing, <laughs> and there were the place was packed, you know, with people. And uh, so I said, "Yeah, I guess so." And we sort of headed about ten thirty, and we run away to our car, and um, my daughter Anna called me, who's 26 and had campaigned really hard for Hillary and was, in fact, at the Los Angeles um, event. And she was in tears, like really, really upset. Uh, she said, how, how could this have happened? What, what happened? And she was crying, like, honestly, almost hysterically crying. And she, Anna's response was, she said, I need to understand this. I don't understand what happened. She said, I have to go to, like, the middle of this country and meet like, I need to go to the red states and understand how people are thinking, because obviously we don't get it. And then about five minutes after I hung up the phone with her, my younger daughter, uh, Tess, who's a senior in college, called me with precisely the same reaction. She was so upset. And it was like, how did this, how, how could this have happened? You know, she was particularly upset by the way Donald Trump talked about women. And this was, you know, what, it was only a few weeks after the whole uh, um, Access Hollywood uh, Billy Bush thing, and she just couldn't get her brain around how someone who spoke about women like that um, was now going to be president of the United States. And do you uh, feel like you better understand that an the answers to that question now, like understanding the appeal of Donald Trump, or do you still no, not? I really yeah, don't. You still don't. I really yeah. don't get it. I still don't get it. I really don't. I want to. I really want to. Um, I find it still so heated that friends of mine, and I do have several friends who voted for Trump, I can't even talk about it with them. Um, I, I try and come to them, but people get very, very defensive. Um, and the, the, it ranges from, you know, in the moments before the conversation becomes too heated to have, uh, it ranges from, look, I don't take any of that stuff seriously. Obviously, he says crap that's, you know, uh, uh, inappropriate, and he's a loudmouth, and can be boorish. But I just don't want to pay more taxes, and I think the government, you know, uh, you know, we want to deregulate, and uh, businesses are hamstrung, and you know, uh, uh, you know, and they did not like Obama, and they there was an aversion to Hillary, and they just thought, look, Trump's a loudmouth, and I don't agree with what he says, but uh, you know, it, it, sort of that that thing, and then other people 
who had said to me, look, he's just saying what I'm thinking. So, I, you know, and, and that's when you get in a very uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because people get very defensive about that, and they say, I'm not a racist, I'm not a bigot, I'm not a misogynist, but, uh, and, and um, you know, I have I, I, friends and colleagues, and I have not been able to have um, very many civilized conversations about it, or I feel honest conversations, because I've even talked to a few women who I didn't know, but I've engaged certain women in conversation who have voted for Trump. So I want to understand it, but I, I still I still can't get my brain around it. I, 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 you know, I, I suppose I have to, and that's my responsibility, but... Just talking about Hollywood, you know, and, and Washington, is there, you know, is there any correlation that you see between the advancement of women in politics and the advancement of women in entertainment that if Hillary Clinton would have won or if there are more women like your daughter, you know, writing shows, is there any correlation in the acceptance of women in politics that oh, somehow ho- sure. how and how Hollywood plays into that? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look. Hollywood is a major business in the United States, um, and I think it goes, uh, you know, one affects the other. In other words, in many ways, uh, our role as storytellers, and Shonda Rhimes is a prime exemplar of this, you know, we put a template in, out into the world. Uh, we put into people's homes or into their movie theaters a, a, a version of reality, and if that version of reality... Uh, shows women in leadership positions and in positions of power and in positions of absolute parity and equality with men, that affects the conversation. Shows like Scandal or uh, Madam Secretary or, you know, you can, there's endless examples of movies where you have powerful, charismatic women and then that sets an example that can sometimes really have an impact on, um, on the real world. You know, conversely, uh, the more women are in power in Washington and in corporate America, that influences uh, what happens in every industry and in, um, you know, and in our um, uh, pop culture, you know, in, in the shows and movies and, uh, uh, that, that are put out, the stories that are told. So uh, they do go hand in hand, and one really affects the other. And um, I, again, back to myself, I feel that I feel a responsibility, given whatever platform I'm given, um, to use that platform to to speak out and to uh, engage people, um, because uh, that's the only way that the change happens. And frankly, the main thing I do when I go out and talk to people is encourage them to get engaged. Well, thank you, Tony. It was a pleasure talking with you. It was my pleasure.